Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. All right, folks, uh, welcome in to the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you. A little late getting started recording this morning. Um, only by about five minutes. You guys know Red, my dog. He uh, he doesn't like uh, the UPS truck. And uh, here at the house, um, started to sit down, got my microphone plugged in, ready to rock and roll, had some notes all scrolled out on the, on the notebook here, and... Um, you heard, er, he sensed it coming. And then, er, went into a full-blown maniacal barking uh, festival for about 10 minutes. And I had to calm him down for you good folks because I didn't have any begging strips uh, handy with me. Got to go to the store later today. And, and you know, it, that didn't shut him up. He gets crazy. It's, it, it's nuts because I got this dog in 2013 and uh, love him to death. You know, uh, he's a little dog because I lived in an apartment. You know, I've always had big dogs. First little dog I've ever had. Um, so I tell him he's part wolf for his uh, confidence. <laughs> he's got a lot of it. Uh, dog didn't bark at all for the first month I had him. And uh, I was living in Nashville at the time. And all of a sudden, one day we're sitting out on the porch enjoying the weather. And the golf cart for the maintenance guy at the apartment complex comes rolling by, and he goes ballistically nuts. I mean, just like Cujo style. Uh, so he doesn't like golf carts. He doesn't like UPS and FedEx trucks or mailmen uh, and joggers for whatever reason. People that are jogging bother him. So, you know, sometimes when uh, when Red goes ballistic during a recording, he doesn't mean to. He's usually asleep, and then something like that happens outside of his window. Um, so... <laughs> I apologies for that. Everybody likes a good dog story, right, to start off the day. <clears throat> um, all right, so more on this quarterback situation with Colin Hill and Ryan Holinsky. And, and, you know, just talking to some people about it and trying to hash through it. And once again, what I said yesterday, I, I don't I, – I, you know, sometimes, you know, it seems like if I've got a piece of information and I don't want to be right about it, you know, I'm pulling for, you know – Whoever, I'm not pulling for Colin Hill or Ryan Holinsky. I'm, uh, you know, I, I want the Gamecocks to do well first and foremost. Um, I, I think it's my job, though, to sometimes, you know, not necessarily interpret the coach's decisions because I'm not that good. I'm not a mind reader, uh, but to kind of explain the thought process. And so that's why I've been talking a lot about Colin Hill. And it seems like, you know, I'm hyping him up or whatever. I'm not. I'm, I'm just trying to explain to you the good qualities the guy has. He is a South Carolina football player. I mean, he, he probably will be the starting quarterback. So you probably need to kind of wrap your minds around, you know, why. Um, but talking to some other people, one thing that gets lost is, and you, you hesitate to use this word toughness, because when there's a two-person competition and toughness wins out, you know, the, the, the immediate reaction is the other guy's not as tough. And and that's not true. I thought Ryan Holinsky showed a lot of courage um, last year standing in the pocket, you know, uh, regardless of what the reason was why he was getting hit. He was getting hit at times, you know, stood in there and fired the ball. And, and I think that's very courageous. And 
you know, uh, there, there's also a difference between courage and, and, and toughness in terms of how it relates to playing the position of quarterback. You know, courage is standing in there getting hit. You know, toughness is more standing in there and, and blocking that out and not letting that affect your game. Um, and uh, who's to say Ryan Holinsky's not there because a lot of freshman quarterbacks, when they get pressure, that, that they struggle with that. And it's not that they're not courageous and, and, and tough. It's just, that, you know, that's, that's more the speed of the game, the collisions, that type of adjustment that you have to make. And how it, it was explained to me was Hill is infinitely better at this point at just standing in there and, and making the offense go. And it was also explained to me that, is, that does not mean checking down all the time. And that does not mean – he can't throw it deep. In fact, you know, Todd Ellis is on the record as saying the guy throws the best deep ball at South Carolina in 25 years. You know, so if he's throwing deep balls in practice and Todd Ellis notices it, then, then you know, chances are, you know, I back that up with what I've heard. The guy can throw it deep just as well as Ryan Helensky can. But but that that I guess it's mental toughness in the sense that, you know, not necessarily what you think about mental toughness, like like Rocky, you know, getting in the ring with Drago, taking a bunch of shots and, um, you know, bouncing back up. There's no doubt in my mind if Ryan Holinsky were a boxer, he could take a lot of shots. Uh, it, it, it's keeping the focus on execution when things are going haywire and um, not making mistakes uh, during that time because those can get you beat. South Carolina is supposed to be – um, and again, we have, you know, COVID and things like that. Charlotte canceled their game with UNC this weekend because their entire offensive line got COVID. And um, my take on that is I don't know how that happened, but at some point personal responsibility plays a part with the players. Um, and if all it takes is one player not doing what he's supposed to do and then your whole line gets COVID and you have to cancel the game. Um yeah, so let, let, let's keep that in mind too. I don't think the words "personal responsibility" have uh, have been emphasized enough through this whole thing um, at all, and so and not just with football, with with the country in general. I mean, it's almost like you know, you either need laws or or chaos. You know, <laughs> you either you need you need to mandate something, or or you know, you, you need to browbeat somebody, or or. or or you just need to let leave it wide open and not have any suggestion. No, you need, you know, the country to take the citizens to take personal responsibility. That's what being an American is all about. Personal responsibility, taking care of yourself, you know? Um, and, and I think that regardless of, of how you feel about the pandemic, you know, we need to talk about personal responsibility a whole hell of a lot more, uh, but that's a side note. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, even with COVID and all that, getting back to my original point, South Carolina, you know, their defense has got some veterans. Um, you know, I'm going to talk about the secondary here in a second. You know, I, I think that you, what you want to do is not put them in a bad position and turn the ball over and, and all that and have your share of explosive plays on offense and stay on the field, you know, Um but that does not mean, you know, I think a lot of people, I mean, you keep hearing Chris Smelly's name come up. And look, I was a big fan of Chris Smelly. He won games for South Carolina uh, when he got in, um, sort of lost the job of Steven Garcia or whatever and moved on. But, you know, when Blake Mitchell kind of had to go 
away in 2007, you know, Chris Smelly comes in and leads the Gamecocks to what they started six and one and we're in the top five. Um, was he ideal? No. Did he have a strong arm? Not at all. Uh, but, you know, Chris Smelly, uh, you know, was not a terrible quarterback. I mean, I'd probably put him, you know, up there with the Bobby Fullers of the world, you know, guys that were solid, not spectacular. You don't call him one of the all-time greats, but, heck, he won games for your football team. You, know, you, don't, you don't hear Clemson people bashing Chris Morocco, although Chris Morocco had a really good season, or uh, Will Proctor. Maybe you do hear them bashing Will Proctor, but I don't know. Cullen Harper, those guys, um, just as an example. So, so, so people, people, you know, again, I'm not going to bash Chris Smelly. People can do that all they want. But, you know, those two guys are completely different. Number one, Colin Hill is about three inches taller than Chris Smelly. Number two, his arm is about five times stronger than Chris Smelly's. Um, and that's obvious, even if you're watching some of the incompletions that you see on, on the game film on YouTube and, and all that. And look, some of you that are out there that have watched the game films on YouTube that were not impressed, believe me, uh, I'm with you. I mean, when, when I saw the, the game film, gosh, before you enrolled, I was like, well, you know, this, this guy probably isn't an answer. And you know, who's to say I'm this great evaluator of quarterbacks? I, I did not have Jameis Winston as a five-star, and I did – um, I was part of the team that, that rated the kid from, uh, gosh, I don't even remember his name. From uh, he's from South Carolina, went to Georgia, never got off the bench. Um, rated him pretty high in the country too. I don't know that that was extremely my call together, but you know I was in charge at the time, so I, as I was the head coach, so I had to take uh, have to take the blame for it. Um, Jacob Park, Jacob Park, that was his name that went to Georgia. So who's to say I'm this great quarterback evaluator? I, I don't know. You know. I'll give you my opinion. I'm, I'm much better at things like defensive line, uh, much, much better. Um, but we all have our strengths and weaknesses. But, you know, I, I felt the same way when I saw the film, you know. But, you know, you look at that, I, I don't think arm strength is something that I, I get concerned about when I see that, just in terms of breaking him down. So he, he's not Chris Smelly. I mean, and – uh, I think Mike Bobo has emphasized many times about game manager and stuff. And I think, you know, I don't, I don't know how much Mike Bobo pays attention to the media, but I think some of the questions he's gotten about it, I mean, I, I think that rubs him the wrong way a little bit because it's it's not, you know, to me a game manager is a guy like Greg McElroy at Alabama, you know, a guy that, you know, you, you know, really not that great, doesn't do anything great, but keeps you out of trouble, you know, not doesn't have a big rocket arm, not overly physically impressive, probably not going to play in the NFL. Uh, that kind of deal keeps you out of the bad plays. Uh, I think with the exception, if you just talk about the passing game, Connor Shaw until 2013 was somewhat of a game manager. He, he, he you know, he, he was great because he had that added dimension of running for first downs and all that good stuff. But, you know, you, you kind of think about, you know, he, he, Love to check down, wouldn't really go deep all that much, that kind of thing. I think it drove Steve Spurrier crazy at times because Spurrier's like, throw the ball deep, throw it deep. Um, but, you know, obviously once Connor became a senior, I mean, you know, it was it was a different story. Um, and Carolina was winning then, so it's hard to really break that down. You, you don't care. You know, give you a game manager where they can run or whatever. 
Um, this guy's not a game manager. He, he's a, he can run the system. And the system is very multiple. Uh, I think that's smart in a year like this year where you're going to have to kind of scratch and claw play calling-wise. Uh, you, you don't have – you know, the, the home run threat at running back you had is hurt. Um, I do think there is some potential at receiver. I remain confident that group will be better than people think. But you have to have the explosive plays come from somewhere. And, and you just – there's question marks. You're going to have to – Mike Bubba's going to have to dial them up, you know, from a play calling standpoint. And you need a guy that can, that can do that or, or else you're going to be three and out. Your defense is going to get drugged all over the field and you're going to lose football games. That's just how it is. So, anyway, that toughness, that, 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 that ability to stand in there and, and when the crap hits the fan and make the play – you know, that that was emphasized as something that's that, that's the advantage for Hill right now. And and again, I want to emphasize that does not mean Ryan Holinsky is not tough. Uh, I, I think that when the word tough again can be interpreted many different ways when you're talking about quarterback play, um, and, and most of it is being calm, cool, and collective in the pocket, delivering the ball where it needs to go checking into the right play. Uh, that all takes a certain degree of, of mental toughness. And, and younger quarterbacks usually have less of it than veterans. And, uh, again, that does not mean Ryan Holinsky's not tough. I don't want people to go out and, you know, say that because that's just that's not true. Ryan Holinsky's a very tough, tough young man, football player. He's tough in life. Um, no matter what, you know, happens on the football field, that guy's a tough cookie. Uh, and I think we all agree with that. So, you know, that that's where things stand right now, and that's kind of why Colin has a little bit of an advantage. And, and, again, they're keeping it going. So, Holinsky's right there. And you never know. You, you never know. I, you know, I'd like nothing more, you know, just from a daily having to deal with defending Colin Hill standpoint. And I do feel like I should defend him because I do think there's a lot of evidence there that he's – much better than people are giving him credit for. He's an in-state guy. He's coming home. Uh, he's got talent. He's got size. He's got a big arm. Um, you know, there's a lot to like about him. People just people just want to throw Mountain West and whatever his record was as a starter, which I think, you know, I, I think the record of a starting quarterback is a bit overrated uh, in terms of, you know, how good or not they could be. Um I think it's important to a certain extent when they're coming out of high school because you're like, well, you know, why did, why did Jeff Driscoll go one and nine, <laughs> uh, you know, big dual threat guy like that with his high school. I mean, they were terrible, but you know, you're like, well, I mean, maybe it was two and eight that he went, um, you know, why was this guy doing this in high school? But, but in college, it's a different ball game. You have all the injuries. Um, you know, if you're an oft injured player, that usually means you're starting seasons. Uh, at the beginning, uh, when you play in the non-conference, which usually are your tougher games. I mean, look, let's let's not – I believe he played when Colorado State played at Florida. Um, let's not drag that tape out. You know, that was, that was going to the swamp, the Gators. <laughs> uh, you know, let's not use that as uh, the example. Although, you know, it's fair because South Carolina does have to play a tougher schedule. Well, he's also going to have better players around him, um, uh, I, you know. Not and that's no offense to their receivers they had at Colorado State because they were really good, but got better linemen, better backs, better defense backing you up. It's the SEC. 
So that's all I got to say about the quarterback spot. Um, switching sides of the ball, you know, kind of going back and looking at it. And uh, Tony Morrell had a pretty good piece breaking down the secondary today on the site. Um, and here's my take on the secondary. I, you know, I, I think I think they're three fourths the way there, and they've always been. Uh, I think Jamie Robinson obviously is is probably the top safety on the team. I think he's one of the best players on the team. It looks like he's going to be the punt returner over J.C. Horn. Um, you know, J.C. Horn obviously is great. Uh, shut down the, the side of the field very quietly last year. Uh, and then Izzy Mukwamu, I think, has a lot of upside. He needs to be the guy he was against Georgia and and, and in other flashes all the time. Um, and I guarantee you Tennessee's going to go right after him early in the game with whoever they've got. I mean, I, I think that would be intelligent of them to do, so he's going to have to show it. So, so then that leaves another safety spot, especially if they're in regular with three linebackers. And uh, Muschamp did kind of allude to that Sunday that, you know, they're going to play a lot with Brad Johnson over there at the Sam just because they like him. Um, you know, so that leaves another spot. R.J. Roderick's played a lot of football. I think R.J. Roderick's shown some promise. Uh, I think R.J. Roderick was showed a little – I mean, you know, probably could have taken a bigger step last year. Uh, that doesn't mean he's not good. Uh, I think that's an obvious option, but but it's really going to come down to these three. These three guys are on the hot seat in the secondary, okay? R.J. Roderick, Jalen Dickerson, and Shiloh Sanders. And uh, Shiloh's been a surprise. He plays physical. I think that's awesome. Um, Jalen Dickerson, obviously, when he's played him and healthy, has been okay. And then Roderick. And, and this is until they throw Jamar Brown back in there, which I, I think that could – that could upset the apple cart quite a bit. Um, so these three guys, Jalen Dickerson supposed to be back at practice. Uh, then you got Roderick and Shiloh. Um, and it's going to have to come from those three guys this year. And then when they go to nickel, you know, maybe you slide Izzy to safety, bring in Cam Smith or John Dixon, who have also had good camp. So, you know, you, if you're looking at the keys to the secondary right now, as things stand today, I think you circle those three guys, Roderick, Dickerson, Shiloh. Um, and then, you know, keep the seat warm for Jamar Brown because, you know, I think his injury has kind of thrown some things off back there. Um, but I do think South Carolina can have a really good secondary this year. I think that um, I hesitate to to write too much about it because or talk too much about it because last year I thought they would have a pretty good secondary. And, and obviously they struggled particularly at the safety position and had uh, – very few moments like they did against Georgia where, you know, they, they, they were pretty consistent at stopping a passing game, at least in terms of important downs and distances on drives. I know Georgia had a lot of yards, but, um, you know, who cares? I'll go, if South Carolina gives up a lot of yards this year and wins games, I don't think it's going to matter too much. Although there is a segment of the fan base that's going to yell, Ben, but don't break, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And I know it's frustrating to watch. It's uh, it's like watching a four corners offense in basketball. <laughs> you sit there, it's third and five. The guy's standing eight yards back. They keep everything in front of you. I, that's tough. <laughs> but uh, it's effective football, um, especially if, um, you know, the other team's kicking field goals or stalling out on you and, you know, all that good stuff. All right. So mailbag questions. 
And again, I want to thank everybody for the mailbag questions. I popped up this morning. I had a bunch more. Uh, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Uh, those are the uh, that's the email address. And then you can also tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. And we can uh, you know, we can answer it off Twitter. Follow at the Big Spur Pod, please. Um, there's a lot of you know, stuff on the Big Spur 247 Twitter account that we have, you know, coming from the site. And then there's a lot that we have coming from, um, coming from, you know, the podcast. It's, it's different content. So uh, check it out. Check that stuff out. Uh, you can also follow on Instagram, Inside the Gamecocks on Instagram. So, um, you know, so that's that thing. So, uh, all right. Mailbag questions. And I love these. And this kind of really keeps the show fresh and going because, you know, I'll have notes and I have more notes. I could sit there and talk. Um, however, I, I do think that uh, when you guys kind of, when we talk what we, what you want to talk about, it's, it's a, it's, it makes it a good show as well. And I used to love sports talk radio. I love when we took calls and got on subjects and, and all that. It made the day go faster. We don't have a phone line, but we do have the, Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com email account. All right. Dr. Bob. JC, I hope you got some rest and relaxation during your hiatus this weekend. Thank again for all your hard work on both the Big Spur and this podcast. I'm also a huge fan of the JC and Morgan podcast and would highly recommend it to all Gamecock fans. Thank you. We did drop Mike and I dropped a JC and Morgan yesterday. You can get that on uh, Spotify, iTunes, slash Apple Podcasts. Google Play, Stitcher, wherever. I wanted to get your prediction on which of the new hires besides Bobo, uh, Joe Cox, Rod Wilson, Des Kitchings, Paul Jackson, will have the biggest positive impact on the upcoming season. Do you feel out, out of these four that one guy is vastly superior to the guy he replaced? Side note, my friends call me Rob, but as long as you keep bringing the heat on the podcast, feel free to call me whatever you want. Dr. Rob, not Dr. Bob. Okay. Dr. Bob. Rob, there we go. All right, so I think as a receivers coach, Joe Cox is a, is the upgrade. Um, you know, I thought that, you know, Rod Wilson's replacing Coleman Huntsler as the linebackers coach, not the special teams guy. I think he will be an upgrade, I, you know, but I thought Coleman Huntsler did a good job, you know, especially after, you know, you had Sherrod Green and some of those younger linebackers really struggle in 2018 of rebounding that group. Um, you know, to me, Paul Jackson is a big upgrade. And to me, you know, Des Kitchings is an upgrade in the sense that I think he's going to stick for a while. I never really got the sense Thomas Brown was a long-term guy. Um, and I think when you're a running backs coach and your responsibility is to go recruit and build relationships with guys and, and get running backs ready, uh, I think it's important to have some longevity. Uh, you know, and not that I blame Thomas Brown for going to the Rams, but, uh, you know, I, I feel like Des Kitchings is a South Carolina native and you look at his track record at Vandy and NC state, he stayed at both of those places for a while. You know, he's, uh, you know, it's probably going to end up working out better than the one year under Brown. Um, so all of them, you can make an argument as far as upgrades to a certain extent, um, I, I want to see how everybody plays this year, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, I'll tell you this, it, it's a huge upgrade because Joe, Joe Cox, Rod Wilson, Des Kitchings, 
our three go-getters on the recruiting trail. Um, Coleman Hustler worked hard, and all of those guys worked hard. And Thomas Brown obviously went and got Lloyd. But, uh, you know, I, I think these three guys, are you're going to be in better hands. And that receiver, as far as receivers coach goes, there they're definitely needed to be a new voice in the room. Strength coach as well. Um, you know, so which will have the biggest positive impact? <clears throat> I'm going to have to say Joe Cox because I think that the receivers, again, are going to be better than people think. And he's had to kind of piece it together. And, and I've seen it done before. Uh, I go back to the 2000 Oklahoma, 1999 Oklahoma Sooners when Steve Spurrier Jr. got there with Mike Leach and Bob Stoops. And they'd been a wishbone team and they didn't have any receivers. <laughs> and he went and got a couple of DBs and some running backs and, and put them all out there and, 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 and scraped it together. Uh, you know, I, I think that Carolina's situation is a little better than that. But uh, I think Joe Cox is going to be able to scrape it together. And I think that uh, you're going to be pleasantly surprised with how that group collectively performs this year. Um, I hope. hope I'm right about that. It's going to be a long season if I'm not. So <laughs> we'll see. Uh, and, again, Dr. Rob, appreciate your question. And uh, we'll always answer it right there. Noah, JC, thanks for the great podcast. For months I've heard about Will Muschamp being on the hot seat, and this will be his final season as head coach at South Carolina. I've heard every reason why people don't think he deserves to be the coach of South Carolina anymore, but I disagree and believe that he's not given a fair chance. He's had miserable luck with injuries, the rise of his two biggest rivals, poor jobs by his coordinators on offense. Despite all this, he's recruited well, led Carolina back from three and nine to one poor and considered a dark to win the dark horse to win the SEC East and beaten some very good teams like Georgia last season. What are your general thoughts on Muschamp and his future at South Carolina? I, I think he got a win at some point. Uh, I think four and eight was the worst thing that could happen. I mean, you know, uh, and, and look, Will Muschamp would tell you this. He wasn't the most popular hire to begin with. And, you know, when you look at like what South Carolina is, um, you know, it had been 17 and a half years of Hall of Fame head coaches at South Carolina. The Gamecocks had not had, well, 16 and a half, 16 and a half. The game guys had not had 17, 17 even. <laughs> Hold on. The game guys had not had a coaching search in, you know, 17 years that did not end with a Hall of Famer that sent expectations through the roof. You know, 1998, they hired Lou Holtz. And in 2004, they hired Steve Spurrier. And Spurrier stayed, you know, despite every media member in Clemson saying he would be gone in four years. Spurrier stayed a decade. Um, and – I, you know, anybody that took that job was going to be met with skepticism. Um, it didn't matter if they did hire Tom Herman or Kirby Smart or, or whoever, Lincoln Riley, whoever. Um, the, and then you throw in the Florida thing on top of that, and, and people were just on edge. And that coincided with, and remember 2015, Clemson played for the national championship. People were beside themselves. You know, what happened? You, you know, back to three and nine. And, um, you know, Muschamp comes in. He overperforms his first two years. When lost record-wise, there's still some skepticism. You know, that they didn't get off to a great start uh, in 2018. That Georgia game was a debacle. They go to Kentucky and lose again. Um, 
but they sort of turned it around. They had a couple of come from behind wins, and you got Florida beat in the swamp, and you lose. To that point, Muschamp had lost like one or two games when he had a fourth quarter lead at South Carolina. Um, and, and, and so fans at some point, and then you come back last year and had a great opportunity, and then the bottom fell out. So fans at some point, you know, they get tired of not having things they can count on. Sure, it's exciting to do the things that are unexpected, like beat Georgia. But when you can't count on beating North Carolina, which you've been able to do for 20 years, uh, when you can't count on Muschamp being to hold, ever able to hold a lead in the fourth quarter, which you had been able to do, um, you know, that's when people really start turning on you and you don't have – any enthusiasm to move forward. Um, he has recruited well. I, I think beyond recruiting and beyond game day, the guy's one of the best coaches South Carolina's ever had. Um, you know, I th- you know, obviously he's a good man and cares about his players. You know, obviously, you know, he, 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 when you talk about coaching, there there are things beyond winning and losing. Um, you know, some, somebody like Frank Martin will tell you this, you know, that, that are important. Um, but it, it's SEC football. It's the University of South Carolina. The uh, standards for this program have changed. Uh, it's no longer a school where a great year is getting to a minor bowl game. It, it's a school where that's the minimum expectation. And so you've got one year last year where you didn't even meet the minimum expectation, you know, coming off a disappointing end to what at times was a promising 2018. Uh, And it's been kind of the same old story. You can't score, can't score. And, uh, you know, so, so, so I think that, you know, this is a big year for Will Muschamp. You know, I think the financials of it uh, with the pandemic and, stuff like that make it less likely that a change will be made if uh, there's another bad year, but you know, (laughs) it's going to hurt the program. Uh, And and what will be worse for the program uh, is if there is a bad year this year and then they follow that up with another bad year and you're sitting on three straight bad years and then you have to make a change. We'll look back on Ray Tanner not making the change after 2020 as a huge mistake. And then that could be the end of the Ray Tanner era at AD. I mean, I, I think ADs are judged by decisions they make um, along these lines. Now, was I, was I necessarily advocating for a change? No, I thought it was worth a discussion. Um, I think that, you know, when you think about the challenges of this off season, South Carolina right now would be a disaster and a dumpster fire whatever word you want to use with a new coach coming in that didn't have a chance to get to know his players. I mean, I, you know, absolutely. It, it, you know, I, looking back on it, the right decision was made. It's things stand today, but you got to win. You got to win. And when things get back to normal, you know, people aren't going to remember this. They're going to, they're going to talk about the record. I, I, I do think, you know, when you talk about miserable luck at some point that changes, you know, it's, it's got to change. I mean, they had bad luck at Florida, too. So, um, at some point, that's got to come back around. But um, we'll see kind of what happens. But that, that's my general thought. Not a popular hire to begin with. Uh, a hire that I got behind uh, and I'm still behind because of the roster situation. You got to have players. Um, 
tough situation to walk into for him. Uh, and up until that Florida game in 2018, I thought he overperformed. Uh, I thought they were on their way. Last year was just a head scratcher. You know, for the life of me, I would not have thought that South Carolina would be four and eight. Sitting on a 20 to nine lead at North Carolina, the defense gives up 200 yard drives. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> come on, man. So uh, we'll see how they bounce back this year. Uh, it, it's a tough schedule. It's an all SEC schedule, but it's, it's not one where uh, they can't eke out five wins, which, you know, five SEC wins, you know, is, is a good year, uh, I think, in my opinion. Anyway, Noah, thanks for your um, question. Jeremy, I've got I've got a little time here. All right, so I'm going to answer both of them. Uh, Jeremy emails in. If you're in your opinion, if Jake Bentley had not transferred, what would our quarterback room be shaping out? I think Jake Bentley would be the starting quarterback without question. Um, and I know some people wouldn't believe me, but I think we all saw last year how much the Gamecocks missed Jake Bentley. Now he'd be learning a new system, but Jake's pretty good at doing that. He's doing it at Utah anyway. And uh, I, I think it would be Jake. Now, could Colin Hill or Holinsky replace him if he started struggling or something? Uh, would that make more sense than throwing Michael Skardecki back out there to catch lightning in a bottle twice uh, or a freshman to carry a joiner? Yes. You know, I, I think that at this point, you know, being back as a fifth-year senior, if you struggle, you know, you need to go with the other guy. But who's to say, Jake? You know, Jake struck, you know, Jake didn't play his best game against North Carolina, but, you know, there was the one overthrow at the end and the picks at the end that everybody remembers. They don't remember. I think he was 9 of 14, 9 of 13 to start the game. You know, I, I just think it was a terrible, terrible game plan they had on both sides of the ball in that one. But, he, you know, they lost it. He, he overthrew Shy Smith there at the end, could have won it. And, you know, you live with that. And then he got injured on the last play, and now he's at Utah, and we're fish to, you know, wish him the best. Jeremy says, if we turn out to be a turd sandwich in the season and we have the option of Napier or Satterfield, who do you think would be more successful at USC? I, I don't know. I'm going to reserve comment on that. Uh, number one, we're nine days before the start of the fifth year of the Will Muschamp era. He's never had a fifth year, didn't have a fifth year at Florida. Let him go have his fifth year. Um. I will address both those guys individually. Billy Napier would put together a tremendous staff wherever he went. Obviously, has ties to South Carolina, Georgia, North Carolina. Um, I, I think any any Power Five job he gets, he'll be motivated. Um, Scott Satterfield, to me, uh, as far as the Carolinas go, uh, <laughs> it's kind of like a Steve Spurrier type, you know. Shoot, let's just go. Just go get some ball players. Go play ball. You know, I mean, that's that, that's kind of his thing. Uh, the App State situation. Everybody talks about how great Eli Drinkwitz is. Man, Scott Satterfield built that thing. Eli Drinkwitz was there for a year, a year, a year. He took Scott Satterfield's team. He built full of, you know, two and three star guys from the Carolinas and Georgia. You know, beat Carolina. Beat North Carolina. Um. You know, Scott Satterfield knows how to evaluate talent. Uh, high school coaches in this area love him. Um, he, he's, I'll tell you this, those of you that are obsessed with recruiting rankings, 
I don't know that either one of these guys, probably Napier would be able to sign the, you know, the more highly ranked classes, but, um, you know, both these guys are going to have to evaluate and get it done. Uh, if it was at South Carolina, um, but you know, I, I would say those two guys would be in the mix if there was a change, but I also think there are other guys that could make it happen. I think there's scenarios out there where Mike Bobo would, you know, continue on and they'd get Gunnar Stockton. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. And, but I don't, you know, out of respect for Will Muschamp and the job that he's done guiding this program during the off season this season. I mean, look, man, you know, again, wins and losses are everything in this business. It's very important, but if South Carolina had been stuck with anybody as the head coach besides him, including the last two guys that were here, South Carolina's in trouble, you know. <laughs> I mean, it gets back to that whole thing. And, and you know, when you talk about injuries, you know, South Carolina, you know, they they can put together a top 22 to 30 that can, you know, play in the SEC with anybody. It's when you get beyond that. And if you lose a bunch, chunk of your players and, and all that, and you got guys opting out and you got guys doing this and, and there's no guidance with the COVID testing and all that good stuff. You know, you need an organizer at the top to, to, to handle all that. You know, you can't have Coach Spurrier or Coach Holtz in there trying to, trying to deal with that and, and the shoveling it off over to an assistant or whoever. But Will Muschamp's done a tremendous job. And so, you know, if this were a normal offseason, uh, well, if this were a normal season, what would we be looking at right now? Would Carolina be 2-0? and with the and heading into the uh, Missouri home opener this weekend, so <laughs> probably be two and zero. Hopefully, I mean Coastal Carolina would would that have been a trap game since they went up and tattooed Kansas? But uh, I, I don't know. Now. Probably two and zero right now. Looking forward to Eli Drinkwitz coming in. But uh, you know, I, I think I think he deserves credit for that. Um, you know, obviously the wins and losses are, are important, and you know. We've got nine days, 10 days, you know, two weeks to kind of figure that out. But right now, you know, I just looking at it from the standpoint of the Gamecocks and, you know, what could have been, they, they have the right guy on the job to handle all this COVID stuff, opt-outs, you know, all that. The, the social justice unrest this summer. I mean, it was all handled masterfully. You know, you didn't hear crap at South Carolina. You heard at Florida State. You didn't have things happen like you had at LSU, you know, no, there was nothing crazy, you know, besides one crazy walk-on's dad, you know, out there kind of, you know, chirping alone, I guess, um, about something that, uh, you know, was not a big deal. So, uh, you know, I think right now Muschamp kind of deserves – Deserves some support here for the next nine days. And, and then when the wins and losses start happening, get back to it. But, uh, you know, you look at the job he did this offseason, and, and I think it's excellent. And, and, and as I said earlier, I, I'm, I'm, I can imagine that it would be a lot less excellent the pre, if the previous two guys were here, you know, just because of the, the nature of how they ran their program. Um, so we got nine days to just uh, stay on the must-champ bandwagon until then because he, he deserves it. He's done a hell of a job 
this offseason. And it's been a very challenging offseason, to say the least. And I think lesser coaches would have cracked or given up or, or whatever. So thanks, Jeremy, for your two questions. I answered both of them today, so that's good. Um, and we're out of time here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast on Thursday, September 17th. Be sure to keep those five-star reviews coming in. I'm trucking toward 1,000, um, hopefully 1,000 by the end of the season. That really helps uh, people kind of read uh, and get to know this podcast. Share it with your friends. If, if your Gamecock friends are tired of local radio, especially outside of Columbia, or you live out of state and want your Gamecock fix and college football fix, recommend this one and whatever other ones. And, um, you know, the JC and Morgan podcast, we don't, we, you know, we talk Gamecock some on that, but we SEC, ACC kind of talk. So be sure to go over there and, and get the latest episode of that as well. And, and all that. And, uh, again, lots more to come as we move forward, uh, through, uh, you know, preparation, game start prep for Tennessee today. So it's almost game week, and uh, we're all fired up here at the Inside the Gamecock Studios. So is Red. Thank you for staying quiet, Red. I appreciate that. He's over there taking a nap, so all is good. This is J.C. Sherbert, and we'll holla at you soon.